Welcome to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, and grace in the real world. This is episode one. My name is Chris Langham, and I am so excited about launching this podcast. Get ready for some of the most powerful stories you've ever heard. Now today, in episode one, we kick off with one of the best stories of the season. It begins with a gunfight. Two gang members shooting it out on the streets of Santa Ana. One goes down, the other goes to jail. What happened in that jail and what happened in the courtroom just seconds before the gavel dropped? Well, I don't want to spoil it, but before we're done, we're going to find 60 grown men, convicts, in jail, in the tank, sitting down and holding hands, praying. And just wait till you get to episode four and Gabriel meets the man he shot. Now, before we kick off our first episode, I want to let you know what you're in for and what the Soul Podcast is all about. It started out with an idea to take on some of life's toughest issues, but for every issue, we approach it through two essential lenses, real story and real grace. Rather than dive right into opinions and arguments, we invite ordinary people to tell their story in all its mud and mess, because life is messy, and let their story teach us something. Then open up the Bible together to find the place where grace meets truth on every matter. Grace is the game changer. And God's grace in the real world is something to see. So I shared that idea with Brad Hornback, good friend. Brad teaches school in the inner city, Los Angeles County, served as a military chaplain. And as we talked, we realized we know a bunch of people with some pretty amazing stories. You know, the kind of stories where you hear it and it just moves you. And it makes you see people differently, see life differently, gives you some compassion and understanding. Kind of stories you just got to talk about. So that was the idea. We called it soul as sort of a play on words because we're going to talk about spirituality like S-O-U-L. But this is about getting real like S-O-L-E soul, as in walking out grace in a muddy world. And we love the concept from the get go. But what we got was truly a phenomenal experience for me. When we sat down in the studio and started recording and guests just opened up about real life and real struggles, it was so powerful. We just finished production on season one and do we have some stories to share from ordinary people who have lived through the most extraordinary circumstances. Frank and Autumn Bignami, high school teachers, enjoying a country music concert when shots rang out and Autumn dropped with a bullet through her cheek and into her jaw. Their escape and their story of recovery and resilience is incredible. Stephen Abertreski's firefighter family at the same event who felt the peace of God in the midst of gunfire. Then Robin Colleen Myers. Just imagine for a moment what would happen if a homeschool mom and dad, plumber and his wife, showed up at a rave, a drug-fueled music festival, and just started helping kids. Mom holds the hair back for girls as they vomit, rescues others from overdose. Dad chases off human traffickers looking to kidnap a kid. Then they bring more moms and dads, set up camp, and make pancakes for kids coming down off ecstasy, serve them up with dad jokes, and pray with hurting kids. Well, they do it, and have they got some stories. And Mike Bonomo, from the pit of addiction to recovery to reaching so many others with the grace he received. And then we had Jonathan and Adrian Ferguson. Most of you know Jonathan is my friend and Bible teacher on Through the Word, but wait till you hear his spitting cobra stories from their mission time in Kenya. That's right, stories plural, as in multiple spitting cobras. 
And then Ryan Woodburn shares his mission adventures in an Arab refugee community here in America. Every episode challenged me to rethink my point of view and re-examine God's grace. And amazingly, considering the serious subjects, we actually had a lot of fun recording because these were just great people to talk to. All of that is ahead in Season 1. Four series, four episodes each. The first two episodes tell the stories, and the last two talk through the issues. Our first issue begins today, and it's, in my opinion, the greatest challenge of modern society, fatherlessness. In the mix, we'll talk about manhood, race issues, and finding identity in Christ. Our guests are Gabriel Nieves and Tadis Ross, two men I deeply admire, each one raising kids and mentoring boys and girls. One is a pastor, the other is a teacher, both as fathers and making a difference in the lives of a lot of kids. These guys were a blast to talk to, just full of life and joy and great wisdom. But rewind the tape a few years and you would not have guessed that these two men would land here. Well, it's time to get started. The Soul Podcast is a production of Through the Word, all rights reserved. You can give it away, but don't sell it. Find all our episodes as they launch weekly at soulpodcast.com. So let's get to it. You've got to hear this story. Welcome to the Soul Podcast, everybody. Stories of grace in the real world. Brad's with me again. Brad Hornback, welcome back to the studio. Good to be back. Happy to be here. And in the studio with me, Gabriel Nieves. Gabriel, welcome. Thank you. Gabriel is a pastor at Hope Alive in Santa Ana and uh, the author of a book, Beyond the Gang, and just a great brother. How many kids you got, Gabriel? I got three children. Three kids. Now, how many How many kids you got in the larger set? How, how many kids look up to you as oh, a man, man. of God? Oh, man. We lost track after about 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gabriel, you're working at the church, but you're also working in the schools. What are you doing in the schools? Absolutely, man. We have the opportunity to have Bible studies with these kids during their lunch time. Five different public schools in the city of Santa Ana. Um, they're all high schools. So it's a challenge, but it's also a blessing. That's fantastic. What you got in high school, you start a Bible study. You're going to have a bunch of kids who start looking up to you who maybe don't have a dad around, haven't had a, a role model to, to look up to. And whether you ask for it or not, you're the man they're looking to. Yes. But I want to back up and get your story. Before we get to that, Soul Podcast has some rules of engagement. Brad, you got to bring us those. Yeah, we got the rules. So first one is respect the story, Chris. When we respect the story, you know, we're going to talk about some serious issues, but the story's got to come first, Gabriel. Your story coming first, right? And about God in your life and how he's using you. Uh, humility before wisdom. You know, basically because good questions come before good answers, we're all here to understand. We're all here to grow. Uh, grace always for every issue. Uh, you know, this is your life. Uh, this is what's happened with you. Uh, we're we're going to go through this in grace uh, and God exalted. We seek the Lord in every single story. We want to seek the Lord in your story, Gabriel, Amen. and just see how he's glorified through you. All right. The rules are down. And the reason we do that is because we're going to bring up some tough issues. Yes. When, when you yeah. talk about fatherless kids, when you talk about, we're talking about a culture of fatherlessness. We're also going to be talking about issues, not only of manhood, but of race, of gangs, of stuff going on in the, the inner city, and some of this get a little touchy, and some of it's going to get personal. Yes. So we got to lay the ground rules. Grace comes first. But before we do any of that, we get to the story. So tell us your story. Gabriel, what I want you to do is every, every life's got a lot of story. I want yes. you to drop us into court. Okay. Into, into the courtroom, because I've heard this story. So drop us right where you're at. Do you remember the date? Uh, um, I don't remember the exact date. But I do know that it was in August it was of 2003. 
August of 2003. Yes. Drop me into the courtroom. So August 2003. So August 2003, the jury began to deliberate. I was arrested for an attempted murder, and um, my faith was now in the hands of the state of California. So the jury begins to deliberate, and they say, Mr. Nieves, go downstairs while the jury begins to deliberate. So I'm, I'm heading downstairs, and when I tell you that the state of California had everything to convict me of this crime, I mean, they had everything, mm. right? From evidence to my best friends telling on me, they had everything you can think of. Best friends' testimony <laughs> against yes, you. Yes, right? So wow. they had all, all the evidence they needed. So um, they sent me downstairs to wait at this um, waiting room. And as I'm going down to the bailiff says, hey, Gabriel— he knew my name because I had been in court with him for quite about a week or so now. So he says, hey, chin up, champ. No news is good news. So I'm like, all right, man, give me some hope, you know. And what ends up happening, I go downstairs. Within two hours, they call my name. That oh, the, no. that the Yes, that the jury had already reached the verdict. So what happens, I, I go upstairs. And now the bailiff is saying nothing, right? Because so, we all know, man, they call you back up there that quick. We, all, we already know what the That's verdict is. News. Yeah, it's not good news. So what happens is they put me in this little four-by-four four cell. Little hold, I had never been in this cell. And I'm there. And I believe I want to share this because I believe this was when God broke me. You know, I, I just remember going in this cell terrified. Because the crime that I was being accused of in, in this trial, it carried a life sentence in prison. So if the jury came back and said guilty, I was going to spend the rest of my life in prison because of some gang enhancements and stuff like that. So what ends up happening, I just remember collapsing to my knees. You know, um, I'm praying. I'm asking God to have mercy upon me. I'm just and next thing you know, I'm just in tears, man, just before the Lord. And as I open my eyes, some crazy Jesus freak or somebody tagged in the wall. And that's kind of normal in jails. People write their neighborhoods and stuff around. <laughs> but it's in the but, cell. But it's little... in this cell that I see Isaiah there, right, where, where the Lord says, I will go before you. And I'm just like, oh, man, OK, Lord, I think you're going before me. So I go in the courtroom. And they handcuff me, right, when I sit down. And I just remember, man, I had been meditating on Psalms 91, you know, just been praying, Lord, please be with me, help me. And um, they begin to read my, my, um, my sentence. They begin to say my, um, the charges I'm being charged with. They start with count two. Count two, street terrorism. The state of California finds a defendant, Gabriel Nieves, guilty. And I just remember, Lord, please, I know that you can do anything you want to do. Have mercy upon me. Count one, attempted murder. The state of California finds a defendant, Jose Gabriel Nieves. Your Honor, some juror in the jury box stands up and she says, I have no idea what's happening right now, Your Honor, but something is zapping my heart, and I immediately say, it's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is touching your heart. So right away they tell me to be quiet because I was going to be held in contempt, contempt of court, court yeah. right? And I listened. So that was when God, like, showed up and showed himself strong on my behalf. Yeah. Amen. All yeah. right, there's a lot more to that story yes. after. Oh, absolutely. There's, but there's also a lot more to that story before. I want to back up. I want okay. to leave that little cliffhanger right there because yes. we don't know what the judge is going to say. Yes. <laughs> but let's back up and let's drop into your childhood. Yeah. Where'd you grow up? 
I grew up in Santa Ana, the beautiful city of Santa Ana, California. <laughs> All right. I love the beautiful yeah. city of Santa Ana. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell me about your family life. See, growing up, um, I grew up with, with a single single mom. Um, she married when I was about two years old. She met my stepdad. And um, I don't recall too much, you know, but I do remember that even at a young age, we were there was no consistency. We were always moving from apartment complex to apartment complex. And I just remember that my mom never hid it from me that this man now in, in my life was my stepdad. Yeah. She she kind of left it up to me. If you want to call him dad, you go ahead and call him dad. So I remember I began to call him dad. I mean, every child wants a father. So I remember, oh, man, I never met my real father yeah. up to this point. So I just remember this is the man I had, and I began to call him dad. So, But dad, you know, he had an alcohol problem. He was always getting drunk, and I remember he was very violent. You know, I remember even at this young age, at the young age of six or seven, I remember in the middle of the night just waking up numerous times to my mom just screaming for help, asking for help, because my dad was on top of her, hitting her like she was a man, right? And I just remember I would cover myself with my blankets and just really just hope that the, the, the cries for help will go away. But um, I also remember telling myself, one day I'm going to be a big old Mexican kid and I'm going to protect my mom from any man that wants to do her any harm. I never wow. knew I was going to be 6'3", 240 pounds, <laughs> right? But um, yeah, that was my childhood, man. And it continued. This continued all during my elementary school years. You know, dad was very violent, never really, no support. It never encouraged me at all. And um, the crazy part was that I actually loved this man for some reason. I guess I was seeking um, every, I had a void in my heart, which was I wanted to make dad proud, right? Yeah. It never came. He never, I never remember here getting a hug from him or hearing Good job, son. Did, However, did your parents get involved in your school or sports? Oh, or? Never. They they would never show. My mom was she would work two jobs. My dad was always working construction, and when he would come home, he would just totally check out. You know, start getting drunk, and by eight o'clock, he had to get up at four in the morning and go do it all over again. So never got involved. So this this happened to when I was about twelve years old. I discovered, like, man, I really like playing basketball. So I started <laughs> about. I started getting big, man. I was a yeah. big Mexican kid, but <laughs> when I before when I was about twelve years old, right, I I knew I was gonna get some size. My feet began to grow, hands began to grow, right, and then my head kept growing, and I was like, okay, sooner or later, <laughs> this body's gonna catch up. I think basketball's game for you. <laughs> yes. So I started playing basketball. Um, thirteen years old. I remember being about six two, man. Just grew, I just blew up, right? And um, I learned how to dribble a basketball. It was like my outlet, you know, because yeah. there was so much chaos at home, just from my dad's verbal abuse to just always financial problems. So what I ended up doing, man, I, it was like my scapegoat, so to speak. You know, I would just go and play basketball. And, away. yeah, and I ended up just signing myself to a boys and girls club league. And I just remember it was so fun, but... I had some I had some skills, man. <laughs> At least I like to say that. My kids say, you just say that to say that. <laughs> but I, I tell them, no, I, ha- I I was balling, man. I had some skills. So anyways, what ends up happening, I just remember seeing all my friends on my team. 
their dad's cheering them on, their mom's cheering them on. And I was like the only one that had no one there to support me, you know, to cheer me on. And so what ends up happening, man, um, fast forward, I, I we end up doing good in eighth grade. We're playing basketball. And up to this point, I had never really expressed my feelings. I, I had carried so much anger inside of me because I felt like I wasn't loved by my dad. I felt because him and my mom ended up having more children and then I felt like, oh, man, now he really is not going to show me love, you know, because yeah, I had yeah. my my other three. Actually, I have four brothers now. So <laughs> with him, you know, but I, I started to see how he would treat me different. Right. And um, whether he did it purposely or not, I don't know. But I just started to realize like, oh, man. So you get all that stuff building up inside. Oh, building up. What point did you pop? Oh, man, eighth grade. I remember like it was yesterday, this kid, for I don't even know what he said. He said something that I could have avoided, but for some reason, I was so angry. I just ended up, I, I took off on him, meaning I ended up beating him up, man. I, I was on top of him. I was punching him like he was a punching bag. I, I, I left him there, and I just ended up taking off, man. And I just, it's like I blacked out. I had no wow. idea what had happened, and... I go to school the next day thinking like, oh, well, I'm just going to school, just play basketball, the norm. You know, I show up to school and there's police officers there at the school and they arrested me. They said um, the kid was in the hospital, man. He he, he had a seizure. I, I beat him up so bad. He, he went into a seizure and wow. they ended up charging me with assault and battery when I was in eighth grade. I got expelled and um, they sent me to a continuation school in Santa Ana. I had no consequences at home. I mean, it's not like my parents asked me what happened. My dad didn't tell me, hey, why did you get in a fight? It was kind of like, as a matter of fact, there were some cousins of mine that, you know, were living with my good close cousins of mine. They, they kind of were the ones telling me like, hey, that's how we handle things around here. Good job. Yeah. I'm glad you stood up for yourself. And it kind of made me see things a little bit different. You know, that that scripture where it that's, says bad company corrupts good character, right? Yeah, if that's so, the feedback you get and that's how you get a little respect, then yeah, that's where I felt. you feed into it. Yeah, so what ends up happening in ninth grade, I enroll myself. Once again, I'm doing all these things by myself. I enroll myself to high school, forge my parents' signatures, and forge the doctor's signature because you're supposed to have a physical Right. Yes. I, I just write. I don't even know what name I wrote. I turn it in because I wanted to play and practice with the team. Right. And I had no idea that you had to have a cert, certain GPA to play right in school. I had no idea. Right. So I'm thinking I'm just showing up to school. And the minute they told me I was ineligible to play basketball, I just said, man, forget school. I'm out of here. And I dropped out. And I just refused to go to school. And that's when my downhill spiral began. I just um, started hanging out with, um, we moved in at this time with my aunt and those two cousins that were cheering me on. They lived there, you know? Yeah. So that that's just kind of what ended up happening next All right, to, now take us into the neighborhood. So they lived, my aunt lived in this neighborhood, right? And um, to me, I, I, I never, I've heard of gangs and drugs, you know? But, you know, I had my little red wristband, dare to my dare wristband. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah, using yeah. drugs, That's man. Not me. I'm not doing uh, that stuff. No, none of that. I'm an athlete. You know, so I would always look at my cousins like they were dumb. They started shaving their heads, and they would just carry themselves a little bit different. You know, so I began, I began to realize like these guys are 
actually gang members, man. They're active gangbangers in the neighborhood. So we moved in with them. So it didn't take long, man. I want to say within months, I started hanging out with them. I started running with them and they began to show me the ropes. And the interesting thing was a lot of my my peers, because my cousin too, his dad was never part of his life, you know? And it seemed like they found their comfort in the neighborhood. Yeah. Like the things that their dad couldn't teach them, it's like the neighborhood was teaching them, right? So when I would talk to these guys, I noticed none of their dads were involved in their lives. So we had that common ground with each other. Like, who needs a dad? You know, yeah. we have each other. We have the neighborhood. So I um, need to learn to be a man because that's what we're talking about. That's the yeah. heart of, of what we want to get at. Yeah. Is, is learning to be a man. Growing a manhood. And when you don't have a role model, you find one. And in a neighborhood, if you got the gang, yeah. that's an image of manhood Absolutely. to step up to. Absolutely. I remember these older guys in the gang. I used to look up to them so much. They um they would they would carry themselves like they had no worries in the world. It seemed like they had all the girls in the neighborhood and and a lot of them had been to prison. So I was like 16. They were about 19, 21, 22, older, older than me. So um, they had been around for a lot longer than I had. So when I would look at these guys, I just remember the first time one of them told me like, hey, good job, little homie. I mean, to some, uh, the way I interpreted that was like, good job, son. Way to mm. go. And it felt so good when this guy told me, man, you're a down little homie. I remember I was like, oh, man, this is what I'm seeking to do. I want to make someone proud. Yeah. So I remember, and I, and, I'm, and I did something stupid. I forgot what I ended up doing. I think I chased some guys out of our neighborhood or something, and these guys thought that was, like, the coolest thing. I, I showed so much courage, and you know? And when they recognized me, it, it just felt so good to be recognized, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember I just be, this just began. I began to want to make these guys proud of me because they were my older homeboys, and Totally out of control by this time. Drugs got introduced and guns got introduced. And I remember they started telling me, um, discipling me, if you will, in the wrong way. They started showing me the ropes, telling me the rules. This is how. This is who we don't get along with. And th- we don't tell the police anything. They just started giving me the whole rundown, right? And I picked it up pretty quick, you know. I picked it up pretty quick and I liked it and um, in and out of juvenile hall. And I like to tell the youth because um, today I get to um, just minister to a lot of youth in the in the community. And I like to tell them this. A lot of the times um, the devil, he puts everything in a big like platform for you, he, like a big old platter. Mm-hmm. Right. And it looks good, but he never tells you the consequences of it, of you taking that, you know, of you deciding to partake in that. So what ends up happening, man, in and out of juvenile hall. And I like to say it, it was all fun and games. I remember I would do six months. I would come out and everyone thought like, oh, man, Gabriel just got out. He looks a little bit healthier and this and that. Respect because you're getting out. Respect because I'm getting out and I'm doing time. And I'm fighting, and I'm just representing this our neighborhood, you know? So I was all in, man. And I remember, man, like it was yesterday, um, December 31st, 2001. Uh, I was just, I was pretty drunk. And I just remember, like, normal routine. Let's go to the neighborhood to pick up some drugs, you know? This time, I think we were trying to score on some crystal, crystal meth, you know? And I went to the neighborhood, and when I get out, when I we were going to the neighborhood, one of my friends took me. There was this guy in the middle of the street, 
And I'm thinking, you know, at this point, I don't have to prove anything to anybody. This is just me now. I want to get out the car, and I want, this guy's not one of my friends, so I want to ask this guy where he's from, meaning what neighborhood, what gang do you represent, and what are you doing here in my neighborhood? So I get out the car, right? No weapons, nothing. I just wanted to intimidate him. And um, I got out, and this guy pulls out a gun on me when I get out, right? Yeah, and I, I kind of back off a little bit, but I'm still letting him know the neighborhood that I'm from. And I really want to just spend a quick second about this because I think um, any normal juvenile or youth would have probably ran or been in fear. If somebody pulls out, you pull out a gun on me today, I'm running. I'm duck. I'm (laughs) covering. I'm not going to sit there and try and tell you, hey, what's up, man? Try to act like Mr. Tough Man, you know? But for some reason, I was not afraid to die. I still asked him. Where are you from and what are you doing here? And then he was telling me, where are you from? And make the long story short, man, I remember a couple of my friends came around came around the corner. They came around the corner, and what ends up happening, man, they had guns drawn. And then this guy by the name of Myron, you know, we'll get to how I know his name later, but Myron pulls out his, he pulls out his gun again, and now I know he's going to start firing. So I go up to my friends and I say, give me that gun, man. And they're like, no, nah, Gabriel, we don't just don't worry. We'll handle this. And I just remember saying, you better give me that gun now. Mm. I took and they gave me the gun and I didn't want to shoot at no one. I just remember shooting one time in the air. I wanted to scare. Them. This was all fear. I wanted to put fear in these guys. So I ended up shooting once in the air, letting off around. Bam. And what ends up happening? This guy, Myron. He starts running towards me and starts unloading his pistol at me. So I immediately start unloading my pistol at him. And Myron falls to the ground, and I run and I flee the scene. Two weeks later, the Orange County Sheriff's Department were at my house um, with a search warrant, and they took me in custody for an attempted murder. So Myron survived. Myron survived. Thank you, Jesus. But you're accused of yes. attempted murder. Attempted murder in the first degree. Yes. All right. Now we got we got to fast forward a little bit. Yes. Now well, let's get back to the court scene. But now, obviously, your life had nothing to do with God up to here. Oh no. How is it that by the time you got to court, that you're you're calling on Jesus? Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So what ends up happening? I get arrested for this crime, and when I was a, uh, I was about 12, 13 years old. Like I shared, I. I was involved in basketball, and I had a best friend by the name of Kobe, man. This guy, he was from New York, and his family, they were churchgoers. And I remember one day it got late on us, and we ended up watching NBA videos late, you know. And he ends up inviting me to church. He says, hey, you can spend the night, but you have to go to church with me in the morning. And I was like, all right, man, let's go to church, you know. I didn't want to go home. Home was crazy. So I just rather, let's, let's go anywhere but home. If church it is, let's go to church. I end up going to church, and God just gets a hold of my heart, man. At 13 years old, I just remember, man, hearing the gospel for the first time and responding to it. However, fast forward, I mean, I yeah, got involved. That's before all the running that's with That's before games. all this happened. So, And you you gave your heart to the Lord. Oh, I, I sure did. You got did. right with God. I got and right. I think this is an important message for a lot of kids who are out there, and especially for parents who are working with them or adults, that something happens with when a kid is young and they walk away from it, but God didn't let you go. He didn't. So God where did so he find faithful. you? He found me. So 
I get arrested, right? The sheriffs raid my, my house, and I'm in the county jail. And I remember just at first putting on this, this facade like, hey, you know what? This tough man, like, whatever, who cares? They got nothing on me, you know? And I remember going to talk to the public defender, and this is when it got real for me very quick. I remember telling her, hey, man, so I'll sign a plea bargain right now. I'll sign 15 years. I'm 19 years old. I'm doing the math. I'm like, ah, I'll be. I'll still be in my mid-30s when I get out. I'll be good. I'll go. This is the vision I had for my life. I'll wow. go upstate like all my other homies. I'll come out. I'll have respect. I'll be all tatted up. I'll be all cut up, you know, and I'll retire. I'll be an OG, right? That was a vision I had for my life. So I was willing to do 15 years. What ends up happening, I asked my lawyer for the plea bargain, and she ends up saying, Gabriel, I don't think you realize the seriousness of this crime. You try to murder someone in the state of California is going to give you a life sentence. You're never going to get out of jail again. And the minute she said that, man, it's like somebody punched me right in the gut. Ugh, I, I, I just couldn't breathe. And I just I was willing to sacrifice 15 years. Right. But the rest of my life in prison, no way, man. I go back to the county jail, and I was just a stress case. And I remember this guy in there, man. You see guys with Bibles in jail all the time. And I used to think they were the biggest hypocrites ever because I was like, how are you going to pick up a Bible when you come to jail? And there was this white guy, man. And it wasn't Chris, right, or Brad. <laughs> but it was a totally different white guy. wasn't me. No, 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 no I hope wasn't you weren't me. in the county. I, not, not me. Not in 2003? That no, wasn't no, you? No, not that okay. time. Okay, no, no. <laughs> not that time. So what ends up happening, man, this guy's walking with a Bible, has a, a big smile on him. And, and I just used to look at him like, that guy's here for some parking tickets or something. And sure <laughs> enough, man, I'm like, if he comes up to me and tries to share this religious stuff, I'm going to let him have it. And sure enough, careful what you say, right? He, he comes like straight at me, like if I had a target, like I need to hear the gospel, right? This man needs Jesus. Yeah, yes. exactly. He comes straight at me, and he just remember. I remember him saying, "Hey, what's up, bro? You know Jesus loves you." And I said, "What? You're not talking to me, man. Jesus loves you, and He has a plan for your life." And when he said that, it took me back to when I was running around in the streets acting crazy. Because when I was acting crazy running around, Ms. Mary, which is Kobe's mom, who invited us to church, she would always, I don't know why, it's like divine appointment after divine appointment. Every time I would go get some alcohol, while I was trying to get go to the Connects house, I would always run into Ms. Mary driving somewhere or going somewhere. <laughs> and her message was always the same. Gabriel? God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. This happened since I was like 14 all the way till I got arrested, 19. I can't tell you the, all the times I ran into her. So when this guy told me that God had a plan for my life, it's like the light bulb went on. Like, what do you mean? Do you know Miss Mary? You know, kind of but tripping <laughs> out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And what ends up happening, man, I ended up sharing with him. I just became vulnerable with him. I told him, hey, bro. God does not have a plan for my life. Look at what happened. And then I just shared everything. I was, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in jail. You know, that whole woe is me. You know, I began to say, oh, man, I'm through. I'm going to spend the rest of my life in jail. And he ends up saying, you already told me that, you have n that everything's horrible. You're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. But what if God intervenes? And what if God shows himself strong? And I'm like, I know, huh? What if he does? 
And he just ends up sharing the gospel with me and I, leading me back to Christ, shared about the prodigal son with me and gave me a Bible, gave me a Bible and said, hey, we need to get to know this Jesus of the Bible. Start reading the gospel of John. And that's where I began, man. I began to just dive into God's word. And God just got a hold of me through just through that man and through his word and just through my circumstance. Nice. Yeah. But you're still locked up at this oh, point. Oh, man, I'm still and in there. you're still facing a good possibility of life. I, I, I am, yes. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause this right there. Okay. Because... We we got we got to throw on our theology throwdown. Oh, we got this is a little this is a little segment show. We're gonna come back to your story. Yes, but uh, but I like a good cliffhanger because I want to know what's gonna happen in, in court. <laughs> but uh, we do something called theology throwdown, and I'm gonna point out again that this was a joke when I brought it up, but Brad took it seriously. So so we're gonna do it very seriously. So so for today's theology throwdown, we're gonna translate gangster to gospel because that's what you went that's through. That's it. What you learned about manhood on the streets, what you learned about the way you're supposed to be from the gang, you had to translate that to gospel. So we're going to do a little bit of that. Awesome. But uh, Brad, why don't you give us the rules for Throwdown? So the rules for Throwdown, basically read your verse, apply it, but don't talk too much about it. Let it go, right? Keep <laughs> yes. it brief. Uh, penalty clock. cards will be given. we got our red and yellow penalty <laughs> cards to so move it along or you need to stop. Um, and it might be a technical foul if you get that red card. Yeah. All right. uh, so is everybody clear? <laughs> hey, we we're going to have an interview yes. if you throw somebody out of the game. <laughs> uh, we're not, not going to have a rest of the podcast. <laughs> okay, I won't throw anybody out. Maybe Chris, and I'll just take over. That's it. You can just sign some push-ups. All right, what's our question? So here's the thing. So we talked, you know, talking about the, the past gangster life, right? And, and you talked to us about some things uh, in terms of loyalty and courage and respect. Basically, it's, it's what do those look like? In Scripture, what does Scripture mm. tell us that true courage, true loyalty, true respect are? All right, I like this question. I think because so, I think there's, I think it really gets at something, which is the 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 core values at the heart. A lot of things that you're looking up to among these other guys, these these are God given. Was in your heart to want to to want respect, like right. respect's a, a God given desire right. in our heart, and courage and like loyalty. The street is about loyalty. Mm-hmm. And not not that I'm gangster. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to pretend anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, but when you had to learn something new. Okay, so so Brad, why don't you give us questions one at a time? All right, so Gabriel, so what is what is true biblical loyalty? Well, to me, right off the back, I think of Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. To me, that's loyalty at its finest, you know. While I was still unfaithful to him, he was faithful to me. Amen. Jesus is the Amen. loyal one. All right, I got a verse for this. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born from adversity. Loyalty is about being there when you're down, and I think Jesus shows us the ultimate, and we pass that on. As a, as a believer, we're going to talk about some of the, the kids that you get to mentor. One of the hard things mm-hmm. to do is be there for them when, when they've messed up, but that's yes. when they need you the most. Absolutely. I got one here to close, close up this question. Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Mm-hmm. You know, and what's awesome is we're all sitting here together, brothers in Christ, not from the same mother, but yeah. brothers in Christ, right? And that's awesome. So... All right, so let's move on to the next one. What is, what is true biblical courage, Gabriel? What do you got for us on that? I think of Galatians 2.20 when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to me, it's like identifying myself with the 
crucifixion of Christ. Just that's where I get my courage from. Like, okay, mm-hmm. Lord, you endured this, so you're going to give me the strength and courage to endure whatever may come my way. Yeah, Jesus went through it. Mm-hmm. I remember when Satan took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple. It's mm-hmm. Matthew 4, 5. And uh, Satan said this, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Essentially what Satan was doing is the, the classic what one boy does to another to challenge his manhood. It's all about doing something dangerous to impress others. Mm. But that's about the fear of man. That's not real courage. Real courage biblically is doing the right thing Trusting God for the results, no matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter if anybody's impressed by what you do. So Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Mm. Yes. Don't jump. <laughs> Don't jump. Yeah. Don't jump. Don't jump. All right, get another question Gabriel, so moving on to the last one here. Basically, what's true respect? Hmm. I think of Matthew seven twelve. Whatever you want men to do to you, you do unto them. So I, I just think of, you know, you want respect, you have to carry yourself in a respectful manner. You have to show respect to others as well. Yeah. yeah. I think in the world, respect is something that you demand from others. Yes. Respect is something that I want to receive, not so much give. But in the word, you show your character by giving respect. Mm-hmm. That it's really a lot more about the giver of respect. It, it shows their character. Children respect your parents. It doesn't say, well, if your parents earn it and they're, yeah. they're good enough. and No, it just says children respect your parents. Respect your boss, respect your elders, respect your pastor. It's all through the Bible. Oh, I'm getting carded. But <laughs> you threw me off. But you show humility and you let God exalt you. That's the heart of it. You, mm. you show yourself humble. You respect somebody else. Only time it talks about getting respect, it's Paul talks in Titus and in Timothy about living worthy of that respect. Worthy of it. Not mm. taking respect, Make just sense. living worthy of it. All right, that was a good throwdown. Yeah, we're good, man. All right. Let's go. Let's move on with the story. Right, I want to get back to the story. Yeah. We, want to, we want to get back. We left you in locked up. God's gotten a hold of your life. You got a hold of the word, mm-hmm. and the word is moving in you. You're, you're retraining your brain. You're rewriting what, what manhood means, what, how, what respect and courage all, all this means, but you're still on trial. Yes. Now, put us back into that courtroom, and when what I- happened— <laughs> So when you stood up and said, it's Jesus, because yes. the jurors let you out. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So I'm screaming, it's Jesus. And yeah, they tell me to quiet down. And I listen, you know, as a good Christian, right? <laughs> no. So what ends up happening, man, um, the judge, he's, this is, I'm not going to quote him verse word by word, but this is what he said. He said, hey, I have never, I'm confused right now because this has never happened in my courtroom before. I have had I have had hung juries. I've had mistrials, not guilty, guilties, but I've never had a juror change her heart or mind once the verdict has been in. I don't know what to do. So he gives the jury <laughs> some instruction. He says, "The rest of you, all eleven of you, you need to convince this one juror that Gabriel is guilty of this crime. You have however time it takes you. We are in recess till then." So How long did um, they take? Oh, man. Two days later, they <laughs> take days. me to court. They couldn't convince her. She held wow. on. and talk. I was praying, man. I was praying for two days, man. I was just like, Lord. Um, but there was just confidence in, in what God was going to do. Um, 
Now that's a mis- that, that's a mistrial. You're still yes. locked up at I'm this point. I'm still locked up. So, I end up getting a hung jury is hung what jury. they call it. A hung jury. Yeah, One, yeah. Hung jury. So they end up declaring a hung jury. One not guilty, 11 guilty. So the oh, DA man. looks at me dead in the eyes and she says, I'll see you in about eight months. I'm retrying you. Mm. Right? And I say, hey, man, if God be for me, who can be against me? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Right? And what ends up happening, man, eight eight months later, sure enough, um, I'm in there. And you can just imagine, after having an experience like that with God, it just ignited my faith. It ignited just who I was in Jesus. I began to share with every inmate that came through that because they had me in a 60-man tank. Ooh. So there was plenty of, man, there was plenty of fishing going on there, <laughs> right? And the little Jesus that I knew, man, the experience, what I had been through, my testimony, I began to share with inmates. And I began to just, I just, the spirit just began to put it in my heart to pray. I began to pray for mercy and just for God to make himself real in a lot of these inmates' lives. And we had prayer circles, man. I'm talking about, we had six, I kid you not, we had about 60 guys at one point holding hands, okay? <laughs> talking about from black, white, Asian, Mexican, and just holding hands, and they had me praying for them. <laughs> so I want a picture. Oh, I want, man. I want a picture it, it was, yeah, it was just When I get amazing. to heaven, I'm going to ask God for a picture yes, of that. Because I think do. he's got that one. It was amazing, man. Amazing times. Wow. And um, the DA, sure enough, eight months later, I go back to trial, and this time I knew that, God was for me, man. He, it, his will was going to be done. And August 4th, man, 2004, I paroled from Wasco State Prison. I got out. I ended up here at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And um, how I got here was a total trip, you know. I, I didn't even know there was a church here on MacArthur and Bristol. I had... I, this was kind of not my side of town of yeah. Santa Ana, so I kind of stayed away <laughs> from this side, you know. And um, but I remember my wife when when I was in there, I began to ask God to just um, bring people. I wanted to grow in the Word. The Book of John was just kind of like, all right, I've been through this like ten times already. <laughs> I, I want more, Lord. And I just remember, man, just I, I met this sweet lady, man, through just a, a phone call, and she began to send me a lot of scripture and a while lot of while I was in when I was in well, the county jail, county jail still. She began to send me scriptures, and um, she, I, one day I just asked her, "Hey, can you invite my my fiance? She was my fiance at the time to church. We hadn't gotten married. We hadn't made it official. She stayed yet. with you while you were oh, locked she's up. Oh, Alma, that's a whole other story. I'll take another half hour yeah, to we'll, share that. We'll but, on that one. That's good. <laughs> but what ends up happening, man? Um, she ends up inviting Alma, which is my wife now, to church. She's coming to church here. I get out, and man, I, we have a home church. And I show up to Calvary Costa Mesa, and I hear Pastor Chuck for the first time, and and I'm looking around me. I'm looking for some color, and I see no color in church. And I, I began to feel a little, and I think it was my immaturity, but I did I began to feel a little uncomfortable, like man, nobody can relate to what I've been through. Man, I just got out of jail. I'm still on high-control parole. Like, man, I wonder if they're going to look at me weird when they find out that I'm on parole. What's going to happen? All these things began to go through my mind, and I began to tell my wife, how about we go to a church in the inner city more, man? Let's just go to, like, a, one, of, one of, where there's more homies. I began to tell her, and she was like, <laughs> homie, we're going to stay here. They teach the Word of God here. Amen. And the last... 
I wasn't going to argue with her because she stuck it out for three years with me while I was facing life in prison. So I said, all right, we're going to stick it out. And sure enough, man, within a week, you know, all the men, all mm. my my stereotypes or whatever I had, the, the these, um, well, I, I just had, I had these thoughts like, hey, they, they're not going to like me and stuff like that. That was all. From, that was a lie from the pit, man. Yeah. All these guys, they embraced me. I remember I, I met a one guy with color was Tommy Coda. He was an assistant pastor here, and I was like, "Hey, what's up, dude?" You know. So I ended up hooking up with Pastor Tommy, and it was so cool, man. Just the way God got a hold of me. Now you're doing ministry with Pastor Tommy. Oh, we fast man. forward a bunch of years now. Yeah. We fast forward <laughs> over a decade, and yeah. you're doing ministry with Tommy back in Santa Ana. Yes. I want to get more of that story, so we're going to invite you back. Okay. We got to close up this episode because yes. we got another story to tell in episode two. But, Gabriel, we're going to invite you back for, uh, for three and four in the series. We're going to talk more about manhood, relearning what it means to be a man. Absolutely. And passing that on to a ne- another generation, yes. given something that, that you didn't receive. Praise so we're going to ba- get you back for that. But I do want to give opportunity. You wrote your whole story, yes. and there's a lot more to it in this book. Beyond the Gang. So Beyond the Gang, where can we find that? You guys can find Beyond the Gang on Amazon. You know, we made it available. It's easy. You just type in Beyond the Gang and it comes up by Gabriel Nieves and Mike Lutz. So Beyond the Gang. And there's a lot more good stuff. Yeah, there is. And if you cannot, um, if you're like, hey man, I know someone that wants a book, I can't afford it. I I don't I just we have resources. You can email email me at Gabriel at HopeAliveSantaAna.com, and I'll make sure I get out a book to you. All right, Gabriel, Hope Alive Santa Ana. And we didn't even start talking music. No. <laughs> yes. But, That's after but me music, and Myron, man. Mu- <laughs> and we didn't get you back together with Myron. We're going to have to hear some more of your story because Myron comes back into your yes. story. The next episode, we got we to gotta at least and, touch on that. All right, we'll, we'll get back into it. But we're going to bring you back in our third episode because yes. we got to bring Tadis in here for the next episode. Brad, thanks for joining us again. Thank you. Gabriel, thanks for being in the studio. Thank you. It was We're going to talk to you in just a, a few minutes on our next episode. Everybody listening at home, thanks for tuning into the Soul Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. And that does it for episode one. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. Join us next time for part two in our series as we continue our conversation on fatherlessness, manhood, and finding identity in Christ. In the next episode, Tadis Ross joins us. And this one was fun. Tadis has a story, and he's got some great insight on this topic. Tadis works with boys in the public schools in a rough neighborhood, kids right on the edge of dropping out. And Tadis gives them a new understanding of what it means to be a man. We had a phenomenal time in the studio, and you can catch it on our next episode. Then in episode three, we bring Gabriel back in and really dig into the issues with Tadis and Gabriel as we talk manhood, identity formation on the street, and what it means to mentor boys and give them vision of a new identity in Christ. In episode four, we finally get to hear what happens when Gabriel meets the man he shot. New episode premieres every Friday. You can subscribe and get all of our episodes wherever great podcasts are found. And check out our YouTube channel to see it in the studio. Videos are coming out soon. If this audio has been up for a while, it may be ready now. Go take a look. You can also find every episode at soulpodcast.com. That's S-O-L-E podcast.com. The Soul Podcast is a production of Through the Word. If you like this podcast, you're going to love Through the Word with audio guides for every chapter in the Bible. Join us for an epic journey through the entire Bible. 
and understand the Bible in just 10 minutes a day. Get the app free at throughtheword.org. Our producer is Brad Hornback. Audio production by Kira Joy. Editing by yours truly. Video production by Michael Kincaid and Daniel Torres. On behalf of the whole team at Soul Podcast, thanks for joining us. You heard the story. Now go talk about it. Share a post, tell a friend, start a conversation, and we'll see you in the next one. You've got to hear that story.